Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. A.B., what is going on, the Kings? Grab your grab your purple hat, Aaron. We're going streaking. <laughs> well, you know, contrary to popular belief around Sacramento, I am not a Kings fan. I just happen to root for the Kings when I have the over. Um, so, <laughs> but with that, it's a betting in, proposition. It, it really is. And with that in mind, you know, congratulations to the Kings and their massive, stunning turnaround from last week's whatever you want to call it to this week's whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Yeah, the the malice in Dallas. I don't know. It was uh, yeah the the Dallas game had, I think it had Kings fans down in the dumps. The Kings really had struggled to kind of find their way, and they had that great game in Memphis. Everyone's thinking, oh man, maybe they're starting to figure it out. You know, we beat the Lakers, we get bombed by Houston, we beat Memphis. You got Dallas in front of you, and then some kind of crazy a crazy week of games. And then they fall flat on their face in Dallas, and you're like, oh, you know, this team has a way of of getting you there, like making you think that things are turning around, and then just really slapping you in the face and saying, what were you thinking? This isn't this isn't who we are. And then, Aaron, I don't know what to make of this week of Kings basketball. I mean, Portland is tough, or they were tough. Now they're not. Uh, but Portland and then Utah on the second night of a back-to-back. I don't care about injuries. Both teams had injuries. Then you go to Minnesota. You're down a bunch. You come back and you beat Minnesota. Then you play Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is a bad team, but same time, every team in the NBA has a chance to win on almost any given night unless you're playing, I don't know, maybe the Golden State Warriors, and even then, you know, the Cavs beat them this week. So uh, what are your like overall thoughts on just this wild week of, of Kings wins, four wins in a row? I, I thought that a lot worked in their favor in a sort of accidental way where you have the Cousins thing go down. And then I thought the team really kind of circled the wagons with that moment. And, you know, starting with the Portland game, obviously, you have this really uh, exciting really massive turnaround point for their season. And within the context of that, you have Rudy Gay's absence and you have the team finally having to rely on certain players uh, like Garrett Temple, uh, among others, Ty Lawson joins that list. And and you really saw the emergence of, I've, I've hesitated to call it this, but almost like the high IQ lineup out there where they're really getting the 50-50 balls. They're out there uh, running good offense. And that all coalesced around a four-game winning streak. So throughout that, you still see similar threads. They're still running these really, really under-optimized lineups. They're still trotting out uh, Cousins and Kufus 
And they get away with that against certain teams because they play big, uh, the the opposing teams, that is. But the coalescing around Cousins, the turning of that narrative, the, uh, the, the George Carl stuff this week even, it felt like the Kings finally caught a break on, on multiple levels. And <laughs> they took advantage of it for once. A lot of times this stuff comes and, and they'll still manage to lose like they almost did against the Sixers. And so they're nowhere near being in the clear as far as a team, an organization. You know, this eight seed talk is fun. I think Kings fans should go out there and enjoy that as much as they can. I mean, if there's any fan base that's been tortured enough to to get the right to to treat an eight seed like a, you know, almost like a celebration, you know, go go for it, Kings fans. But um, I, I think we saw this team take a small step forward. And again, if they can just iron out the wrinkles with some of this stuff. You know, personnel-wise, I feel like they're really onto something because there's not a lot of separation in the middle of the NBA. You know, there have been what ten close games that they've lost, and I, I really feel like they could have won five of those, and, yeah. and for any number of reasons. So, what are we really talking about here? They could be eighteen and whatever instead of fourteen and seventeen. Isn't that the strange thing? If you really go back, they there are so many games we could cherry pick, and we talked about this earlier. You know, if they just won this or they won that, you know, they would be in a different spot. All of a sudden, they're in that spot, and they still have all those losses. Now, those losses are going to come back to haunt them when they they play eight games in, like, 11 or 12 nights in January on the road, and it's just the most brutal trip of all time. It's also going to cost them, you know, in the next couple of weeks when they have a string of games that read something like, I don't know, Clippers, Golden State, Pistons, Cavs over a four-day stretch or a four-game stretch. But they finally have, I think it's eight out of their next ten at home. Uh, they play Portland on Wednesday night. Portland is wounded, and Damian Lillard is out. Although, uh, I'll tell Kings fans as well, Rudy Gay, it does appear, re-injured himself in at the very end of, of the Philadelphia game, and I don't think he's going to play in, in uh, Portland. He's... He's just struggling with a with a hip issue, and we'll get to we'll get to more on Rudy Gay later in this. But this is a moment where I think the Kings have to seize this opportunity and string together as many wins in a row as possible, climb back to five hundred or as close as you can. I looked at the ten game stretch, and it's not easy. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're playing at home or not. But you've got Portland in Portland. You come back. You have a, a matinee game on Saturday against Memphis. Then you've got at Denver, and then you string together. I think it's six straight at home. Uh, after Denver, you have Miami on the second night of a back-to-back, followed by the Clippers, Golden State, Detroit, Cleveland, OKC, and Indiana. I mean, you could lose all six of those, and the same whole thing is like a big mess again. Or you can play up to the level of competition. You can take advantage of, of being on your home court, and you can take advantage of the fact that you have a stretch of games here where you actually have moments to breathe. I and mean, we're looking at eight games over, uh, I don't know, like a 20-something a day stretch. And so you kind of get practice time. You get time to, to gel some more, to work out some of the finer nuances, to make a trade, uh, if that's what you need to do. But I think this is that moment where the Kings have to, they can't just look at a schedule and say, oh, we got Golden State and the Clippers and, you know, we're, we're going to go 0-2. You have to look at those and say, okay, we got 
we got to get one game out of the way and then the next game and then the next game and hopefully by the end of it you know we're six and four over the 10 games or we're seven and three over the 10 games and seven and three puts you at 500 um or maybe a game over right i believe though yeah put them a game over yeah but it's not easy it's not easy. I mean, look at looking at that schedule. First of all, Portland is in dire straits, and they might actually be better without Damian Lillard. And don't kill me because Damian Lillard is clearly the best player on that team. He, the, they have an imbalance with their offense, and their two kind of worst defenders are taking the most shots, and it's affecting their defense. And so sometimes what happens? So Kings fans shouldn't look at that as almost like, oh, well, hey, that's a real big thing in our favor. A lot of times teams will tighten up. The, the offense will get more balanced. Guys will get more shots. They'll play better defense. So if, if he doesn't play and he's doubtful right now, you know, that might actually shake that team out of their funk. So that's a, that's a tough one, I think, especially given the playoff ramifications. Memphis is as wounded as, as it gets. Um, we'll see if they get Mike Conley back. There's quite a bit of time between now and Saturday's game for him to come back. Is he uh, out Chandler, He's out tonight. Uh, with a left big toe injury, and he he had so many ma- bad miles on on him before he got that big deal. So, you know, it's not surprising to see him miss some games here. So, Memphis is not quite as good as their record entails. And then you got the big Denver game. Denver is probably the biggest threat to the Kings in the eight slot, with the way that they have played so terribly this season, with all of the crowd at their. You know, they got eleven players that deserve minutes, and really they should only be playing like eight or nine. And so they've struggled. Once they moved Nikola Jokic into the starting lineup, they became a night and day better team. So now they're they're on the upswing. So that's a tough game. Miami is um, going to play them tough. They've, they've made a season out of beating teams while they're shorthanded. The Clippers are they're banged up. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw their starters rest a lot in the next couple weeks because um, Blake Griffin will be out and they might say, you know what, we're going to lose a lot of games in the next few weeks anyway. Let's just make sure we get through this time period without anybody doing anything major like pulling a hamstring in the case of Chris Paul. <laughs> so inter- interesting situations. You get the Golden State game after that. And then, you know, Detroit is a tough squad. They'll probably have worked out their problems by the time that the Kings uh, uh, play them. Yeah, maybe, Cleveland. maybe not. You, you don't know about Detroit. Detroit's a, a wild card. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, but they're, they're playing so poorly right now. These things go in cycles. Um, they might work. They started, they showed signs of working it out in their last game. So, you know, it's an interesting little stretch here. I don't think it's like, uh, I, I don't think that they should expect to go under 500 here. Just like I didn't think they should expect to play under 500 for the first 30 games of the season. So uh, it, it, this is, it's, it's interesting times, but at the same time, you look at the game last night with the Sixers and it was the same thing as usual with, with the Kings. They played down to their opponent they lost any semblance of offensive system in that game. And this had really nothing to do with Rudy Gay, I thought. I thought that Rudy Gay was a part of that, but this was the entire team. And in the, in the game before against the, uh, the Timberwolves, they were so clean offensively. So they're still inconsistent on that end, and that's something that's going to burn them. All right, all right. You know, the Rudy Gay thing is interesting. Um, again, I, I don't know what they're going to do with Rudy Gay. I, I thought early in the season that they would over they would over rely on Rudy Gay and DeMarcus Cousins, which of course they did, and then it would be really difficult to pull Rudy Gay out of that and make a move, make a trade. I don't believe that anymore. I think at this point the Kings have proven that they can win without Rudy Gay 
and that they can move the ball better without Rudy Gay. And I, I don't think that that's so much Rudy Gay's fault as much as it is you can't have so many ball stoppers. DeMarcus Cousins, while you know he's playing incredible, he's still a ball stopper. That doesn't change what he does. He is a focal point of an offense. And Rudy Gay kind of needs to be DeMarcus Cousins in order to succeed, which is why I think he had a really nice fourth quarter against Philly where he basically took over the game as DeMarcus Cousins. And then you're waiting to see how he he moves through that. But, um, you know, I I just think he's a square peg, round hole type deal at this point. And I think the Kings have a lot of holes. The Kings have a lot of holes still to fill. Um, We can debate all night long whether or not Garrett Temple is the best option for the Kings at the shooting guard spot. But I think we can probably both agree that if Garrett Temple is your starting shooting guard, that maybe you aren't a high-end playoff team. Maybe you're a good team or a solid team, but he, I mean, he's going to have his nights where he has great offensive output. He's going to have nights where he has no offensive output. He brings it every night on the defensive end. But, I mean, when you've got to go up against Clay Thompson in a playoff series, you can't have your guy getting outscored by 25 every single game. That There's just no way to make that up. So I'm not, it's not a knock on Garrett Temple, but he's the best, I think, and I think you think, he's the best option the Kings have at this point as a starting shooting guard. But if you're going to move Rudy Gay, maybe that's a position that you do attack. You go out and you get a legitimate starting shooting guard. If you're going to move Rudy Gay, maybe you get a legitimate starting small forward that's just different than him, that's more of a 3 and D type guy. But I think that's where this thing is kind of heading, don't you think? I'm <clears throat> on the issue of Rudy Gay. I, I see all of the warts that everybody else sees, and it's it's fine to say, you know what? In the long term, you know, we probably don't want that next to Demarcus Cousins. Um, with this particular team, with the warts, you know, you do need a guy like Rudy Gay who is willing to take shots because the Kings are offensively deficient any way you you slice it. And some of their lineups they throw out there, like the lineup to start the fourth quarter of, of last night's game had one and a half playmakers. If you consider Ty Lawson a playmaker, and I do, and then you consider Garrett Temple a half of a playmaker, and I do, mm-hmm. they had one and a half. And then they had three other players on the floor that couldn't make a play if their life depended on it. And, and that's not a knock on them. They're just not ball handling, you know, pull from anywhere type of guys. So you get these combinations with the Kings anytime you don't have DeMarcus Cousins, Rudy Gay, Darren Collison, or Ty Lawson on the floor. So uh, that's problematic. So Rudy fits in Sacramento. I don't think Sacramento should be really rushing to get him out the door. I don't think there's going to be a tremendous market for Rudy Gay any way you slice it out there. I think a top 15 first-round pick would be optimistic. And then talking about getting somebody in return, I mean, here's where I stand on Garrett Temple. I I think he deserves a uh, first-team all-defensive NBA nod this year. Just watching him go up against the best in the business, the way he defends him. I've not seen a player defend top-end talent like that really in a long time. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Tony Allen, thinking of guys like that. And you see the similar elements where he actually wins these possessions. And, and good defense typically can slow down a great offensive player, but not stop it. So I don't really think you can ask for more out of a position in, in saying – you know, you're going to get it one way or the other. You're going to either get great offense or great defense. And, and, and sometimes you'll get Clay Thompson where you get both. 
But I don't think expecting somebody to do what Garrett Temple is doing um, or to do more, I don't think that that's almost realistic unless you draft a, a really high-end player, you get a high-end free agent. So I'm good with the Kings keeping Garrett Temple at the at the shooting guard position. I don't care if he comes off the bench or if he starts, but I'll say this. When the Kings get all these slow starts, and, and especially – you know, when you look at the starting lineup with Collison struggling because of the Kufus pairing, Cousins and, and Kufus, uh, I would probably want another ball handler, playmaker. If we call Garrett Temple a half a playmaker, I'd want that on the floor next to Darren Collison because he's really getting washed away in this this uh, first team here. But, you know, Temple, third best player on the team in terms of net rating. Rudy Gay, first the best player on the team in terms of net rating. I don't see these guys as guys that the Kings should be looking to move away from, whether it's in terms of playing time or a trade, uh, if you get something great. But if not, I mean, Rudy, I think, has a great thing in Sacramento where he can really pump up his market value by getting into the playoffs. So I think there's a natural fit here that a lot of people are really just like, oh, you know what, Rudy's back, offense stalled. But I'm telling you, last night, there were there were some 80% of plays that went away from Rudy Gay, and it had nothing to do with Rudy Gay. And it was still the same mentality of take the first shot you get or with Cousins really kind of take an under-optimized shot, whether it's a dribble drive or something that just isn't quite right. The Kings got into a, a playground match with the Sixers. And then in the fourth quarter, they settled down. Rudy Gay got brought into the game with that lineup and it brought the balance back. They slowed down their pace. They got their tempo back underneath them. And by the time about halfway through the fourth quarter came, they more or less had control of the game. You bring back Cousins, and then you get your advantage back. So I'm not on this get rid of Rudy Gay bandwagon. And, and, I, and I do see the warts. But I just I, I think Kings fans should take a, take a break and see how it plays out. I see the warts, and I see the positives of Rudy Gay, too. I, I personally, I enjoy having him on Sacramento Kings. Um, he's great to cover. He's a very, very good dude. Um, he, I, I mean, I've watched him you know, every game. And I think he's an absolutely tremendous athlete with all kinds of attributes, but he's already made it very clear. He wants out. And I don't think there's any change in his mind and losing him for nothing that doesn't help you. And so my point of view is while I'm not running take, to take the first deal, I think there should be some sort of bidding war for teams that are looking for a high end scorer to sort of get them over the hump, especially in the Eastern Conference where there are a bunch of teams who are struggling and all of them are sort of heaped into this one giant, you know, lot. Um, I think the Kings can get by without Rudy Gay. And, of course, that means that DeMarcus Cousins can't get hurt. And it means that you're going to need Aaron Aflalo to step up and, and play minutes when you need him to play minutes. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I do think that it's probably best that they they shop him hard and find something for him because losing him for nothing that doesn't help anyone in any sort of rebuild and the reason why i bring up the starting shooting guard position is because if you're going to try to do something here you got to try to do it. it can't just be one year and like celebrate we made the 8 and then half the guys leave and now it's like you got to start over again you need to find some stability at some of these positions and one of those positions, you know, clearly the Kings have some young talent. They've got Ben McLemore, which, you know, is a restricted free agent at the end of the year. They've got Malachi. 
who has it was completely unproven. They've got Bogdanovich coming over, hopefully next season. Again, completely unproven. They need a legitimate starting shooting guard. And while Garrett Temple, uh, Garrett can play the one, he can play the two, he can play the three. I think getting him twenty six to thirty two minutes a game is is right. Yeah, I think it makes sense to me. Just like you want him for 34. I get it. But... I want him for 35, and I think he's like Trevor Ariza right now. I think he's going to – if the Kings don't give him this role, they got him under contract. But like he could – you'd see him on another team doing the Trevor Ariza, Ariza stuff, and you go, oh, man, we should have kept that guy. That's oh, what's yeah. going to happen. I don't Jared think they're going to and... shop Temple, and I don't. I think he should be part of the future of this team. I think he's got – just because of the way his career has played out, I think he's got another six years in him. You know, I think he can play till he's 36 and still be really, really solid. I'm just saying you don't dump. I mean, if you have a first team all de- all NBA defensive player, you play the guy and, and you build around him. I mean, this is a guy, him and Anthony Tolliver, great note at the beginning of it. Uh, I don't know how many games they do this. You probably know better. Last two guys to talk to every player before they get on the court, Anthony Tolliver and Garrett Temple. Why wouldn't you build around that guy if he's good enough to handle the minutes? And I really think he is. I mean, not every two guard in this league has to be a knockdown, you know, offensive player. It, it, it's okay to have a little bit of balance there. But he does so, have to be able to knock down the the open three because if not, if if it, opposing defense, yeah, but if opposing defense don't don't respect you, then they're just going to double team Cousins, and then that means that you've got to. You basically have to put Garrett Temple on the opposite side of the court, away from Cousins at all times, or just keep running him off the screens again and again and again. Look, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I think Garrett Temple is a very good player, and he's shooting 40.6% from from three. He's he's actually surprisingly— That's kind of what I was going to get at. (laughs) He's the best three-point shooter on the roster right now. But well, and he makes good decisions with the ball. I mean, yeah, everybody has turnovers, but I, I, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm like shocked in the same way that I was shocked when Isaiah Thomas wasn't playing. Like when, when it was Keith Smart days and the Maloofs were in, running the show, and you're sitting there going, "Why is this guy not playing?" That's kind of what I see with Garrett Temple. But there are he's, some games where he's off. And he's he had like one bad game. No, he's had more than one bad game. One, there, two. There, he had a bad game against Philadelphia. He just happened to hit the three pointer that turned the tide. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing, though. His bad games mean he makes a couple stupid turnovers, or he, you know, goes one for ten shooting, <clears throat> and, and shooters are going to have that stuff happen to them. But he's still the best player on the floor defensively. You can't. Oh, no. Sit there. I, you can't I take it away from him. You know, even if he gets his hand caught in a cookie jar here, maybe slow closing out on a three point shooter there. I mean, he is the, the straw that stirs the drink defensively. And so, I mean, <clears throat> I have a real hard time saying that he's even had a bad game. It's it's really hard because when he's on the floor, they, they play well. And, and he's a big reason for that. When he's off the floor, they don't play well. And, and the numbers bear that out. Well, and, I, and so it, it's hard to, to say he shouldn't be the guy that they're building around at the shooting guard position, in particular for this team. When you have Rudy Gay and Marcus Cousins, if you're talking about two heavy usage guys, you need a shooting guard that's not going to need the ball. He's he's perfect fit for those two. But you got 51 games of Rudy Gay left at at a maximum. And so unless you pl- replace Rudy Gay with another Rudy Gay, which I don't think is going to happen— then you got a problem. 
You know what I mean? I had a question for you because um, I was talking with somebody inside the Kings here today and having the same kind of an argument where uh, trying to figure out what would you do with Rudy Gay? Because Rudy Gay is, you know, if, if he is a good fit for this team, as I contend, and the Kings continue to win and they make the eight seed or even better. Who I mean, there's a couple teams that could fall, you know, a little bit lower than they're currently at with their record. But say they make the playoffs. I mean, doesn't that make Sacramento a better destination for free agents? Don't can't they sell that story? Like, hey, you know what? You heard of George Carl, right? You know, he kind of set us back a little bit. And players go, yeah, yeah, that guy. He, yeah, we heard about George. You know, yeah, that, that makes sense. And, yeah, you know, we got it together under Dave Yeager. And then it starts to make sense. And you could start to bring in some free agents and build this team kind of incrementally, not not as quick as everybody would like through the, the Philadelphia tanking mechanism, which takes about 10 years and has no guarantees. You know, you, you, can, you can do that. So the question is, is the trade deadline comes Say you have to get rid of Rudy Gay, and and unfortunately, I don't think that the offense is going to hold up, you know, without him. While they have won a few games without him, you know, it's going to be hard if if Darren Collison doesn't get on track, you know, if you're relying on on Collison, Lawson, Cousins, Cousins, and yeah. question mark, yeah, you know, offensively, you might not make the playoffs. So I guess my question, what I what I pose to them, and I'll pose to you is. If you get a top 15 pick in return, you know, do you make that deal? It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than it's got to be a player that comes back. And the reason why I do believe that Rudy Gay has value right here. First of all, I don't think keeping Rudy Gay helps you bring in free agents next summer because I don't think Rudy Gay is staying either way. I'm pretty convinced he's not staying. So he's not going to be one of the free agents you're chasing. He's going to be a free agent that is basically off the table and that's again. It's because that's, and that's fine. He's been here. He's done that, and so he's going to go look to find something that's bigger and better, and and all that. And, and and I totally get it. Now, if I'm the Kings, I'm looking for future pieces that help me, and there are a lot of ways you can do that. But I think you you can start cherry picking the bottom of the league and say, do they have a player that's under contract for three or four years that that was maybe uh, you know, a 28-year-old, 29-year-old that doesn't make sense for them anymore because they're clearly in rebuild mode. And maybe they would take Rudy Gay, who can help them now and, and sell tickets a little bit. But on the back end, they save $45 million because they don't have a player under contract for the next three years at $15 million a year. And we'll take that player. And so I think that's where Rudy Gay for the Kings is really going to have value at the trade deadline. If a Brandon Knight becomes available 15 million a year for the next three years or whatever it is Brandon Knight's owed and they want to dump the salary and they want to work out a three-way with uh with some other team and pick up a couple of young assets slash first round picks and you get Brandon Knight and Rudy Gay goes to Orlando and Orlando sends Vucevic uh to to uh uh, to Phoenix, you know, I, these are deals that I'm looking for. They're they're deals that are complex, but they're really based around young teams that maybe don't need Rudy Gay, but need $15 million or $14 million in cap space that Rudy Gay provides. And so I, I think that's where if I'm the Kings, I'm centered on deals like that. I, I want 
a young player. I want I want a starting shooting guard or a starting small forward that is just a different version, a different type of player than Rudy Gay is right now. Or maybe that young player that looks nice, but then will absorb a sort of a bad contract to get him. And I don't know how many of those deals are out there, but I think that's where the Kings are mining right now. How do we stay relevant now, move Rudy Gay, get a longer-term contract and maybe a young asset and move forward? Well, I think the Brandon Knight discussion is really intriguing because his agent's working real hard to get him out of Phoenix. It's uh, not a great fit there. And so the... The, the look of his contract is, is unique. It's about 13, 14 mil per year through 2019, uh, 2020. Uh, he's a player that's had a tremendous amount of mid-body injuries where, um, you know, he's definitely an injury risk for anybody that picks him up. You know, I guess the question would be if you're Sacramento is do you try to convince Darren Collison to stay and what would he get and probably similar numbers uh, assuming his season turns around. And I think it will, because I think eventually you've got to get away from Kufus, the lineup, uh, Costa Kufus and Marcus Cousins, because it's going to get torched r- ridiculously throughout the course of the year. Yeah, but, I but mean, what... if you look at night, I mean, 13-6, 14-6, and 15-6 over the next three years, those are millions, sorry, over over the 2017-18, 18-19, That makes perfect sense, because NBA point guards are going to get paid well over that, I don't. Darren Collison is not playing very well at all. He's he's struggling to find his his niche in this in this lineup, and he's hurt his value tremendously. And the fact is, Knight is considerably younger. He's twenty five years old, where Collison is twenty nine. I mean, this is a guy that you can count on for the next five years or four years as a starting level or close to a guy that heaven forbid might compete with Ty Lawson for a starting job. And, you know, so I could see the Kings saying, hey, look, you want to dump that contract. That's fine. How about we give you Ben McLemore and and Darren Collison and player X? Or how about we ship you Rudy Gay and he goes somewhere else and, and you get a player back that, that fits what you're trying to do long term but you rebalance your roster again. Like the Orlando deal makes perfect sense, although Orlando would have to want to take on Rudy Gay for one year and then lose him. So I just think that that's where where Gay's value is. It's in well, the, the interesting thing contract. about Orlando is that deal does make sense for them because then they get rid of Vucevic. They they slide Aaron Gordon over the four where he desperately needs to play, and then you put Rudy Gay at the three. And and you know if you're them. And you're having trouble attracting free agents. You try to convince Rudy to stay. Now, Rudy wants to play for a contender, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be hard for him to sell them and, and vice versa. But your night talk, I mean, I'm not against, you know, the, the idea of a Brandon Knight trade. If you're a Kings backer, it's, you know, it's a gamble because he's got some talent. He's, um, you know, he's shown it in Milwaukee. He showed it for a little bit in Phoenix. But that injury risk, you, you cannot understate that. He is. I mean, he could be dead money within the first two years. That's that's unfortunate for him, and he's struggling this year. And that's a function of the you know kind of the, the Suns are very Maloofian over there right now <laughs> with what they're doing. And I'm not I'm you know not really kidding about that either. You yeah, know, they but he got, averaged. I mean, he averaged 19.6 and 5.1 in, in 52 games last year for for 
Phoenix. He's a solid player. I mean, he can he can kind of give you what exactly what Darren Collison gives you, he, except for he's in been a, bad this year though. I mean, he's hit he shot thirty five percent for you know I think he just got above thirty five percent and he has not been able to play more than like fifteen minutes per game. He's shooting thirty nine point four percent on the season, and he's and he's averaging only twenty four minutes a game. I mean, he's had a major reduction in in minutes and role because he's been playing really well as of late. Like the last week, two weeks, he's turned it on. Okay, um, so st- so we 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 beat this one down a little bit. So I, I mean, I didn't want this to be a Brandon Knight specific discussion, uh, as much as it is like a an idea. Like again. Does trading Rudy Gay for Wes Matthews so that that Dallas can reboot, does that make you better? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Does ta- taking Rudy Gay and moving him to Orlando for Jeff Green and Mario Herzonia, does that make sense long term? Maybe it does. Maybe Jeff Green is good enough to fill the void now and Herzonia gives you the young small forward that you're lacking in your future. And, and so I think that's where Rudy Gay has – you can go get something from Rudy Gay and it's not a top 15 pick because I don't think a top 15 pick helps his team, especially when they've got three rookies right now that aren't playing, a rookie that's coming over next season. Um, they'll probably lose their first-round pick, so getting a first-round pick isn't a bad thing. But what I'm saying is like there are different ways to build this team, and if you look right now, this team has specific holes. It's got a specific hole at the shooting guard spot – for a scoring shooting guard and it's got a specific hole at the small forward spot if you move Rudy Gay so you have to fill one of those two spots if you're going to move him you have to upgrade and I think the the combination of Temple and Caspi and whoever else you want to throw Matt Barnes and Tolliver uh, whoever you want to throw at that small forward position they can kind of hold their own and and replace what Rudy Gay is going to give you they're just going to have to do it in a much different way yeah, the scoring equation is just the the, the biggest thing you got to overcome if you do move him. And and so yeah, those deals. I mean, you know, whatever. I think the Kings are wise to go out there and and shop him hard. It's not going to cause any problems with the team. You know, Certainly everybody not knows cause any problems with him. With Rudy. no, and, and and the thing with Rudy is he's in a great spot with the Kings again. He's going to put up great numbers again. He's got the top net rating on the team. These are things his agent can sell. These are things that the Kings can sell. And it's going to be, you know, something where the Kings, I think they should just be very picky about this and not, um, you know, try to do anything too quick. And they won't. And, you know, see what happens if I don't think you're right. A top 15 pick is more just like a metric rather than a goal. Um, These other types of solutions that are out there around the league. Eventually, they'll have to pull the trigger on one of them. And we'll see kind of what that looks like if they end up pulling the trigger on it. But in the meantime, you know, you, you got a team here that despite the fact that they kind of shoot themselves in the foot with a few things that they do has really, you know, kind of turned the page and they're on pace for 37 wins. Uh, I think that they could be on pace for for a 500 season really easily here. And uh, I, I'm intrigued by by where it goes from here. Demarcus with his leadership, you know, that's uh, a huge thread in this conversation. Can he continue to incrementally improve, you know, in the things that he does. And then really, I think you do need to talk about Darren Collison getting back on track. He is completely lost within that first unit. And, and then Ty, with everything that he's done with the second unit, 
you know, I would be, I would not want to move that, move him out of that unit. He's doing just fine there. He needs more minutes. Um, the, his turnaround this season has been really great to watch because he's an effort guy. He gets like all the 50, 50 balls and he's got his confidence back and that's found money for the Kings. It is found money. So let's, let's finish on that note right there. Uh, we had the dis- this discussion a couple weeks ago. What would you do if you were the Kings with Darren Collison? Would you extend him? Would you offer him, say, three years, 30, three years, 33, three years, 36? And people are like, oh, that's a lot of money. Really, in today's NBA, it's not. Um, I-, I don't know that Collison is-, is still in that discussion. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But Ty Lawson all of a sudden has become... A couple, like, first of all, I hear, like, behind the scenes, they love him. Like, holy cow, he's a leader. He's He's got a, a he's a really good teammate. People really like him. Uh, he's he's playing extremely well. I mean, he's bringing he's, everything. He's old Ty Lawson again. It's fun to watch him play. Yeah, but what do you do if you're the Kings? Uh, because you just did this with, with uh mr rajan rondo and he took the money and ran and you didn't want him anyways but i think lawson is sort of that second reclamation project that the kings have tried that that all of a sudden worked really well and i mean is he a future should he be considered possibly the future point guard of the sacramento kings at 29 years old or is (sighs) See what I mean? It's tough. What do you do it's, here? Now, because, I mean, I think he's really thriving within the one center lineup of the second unit. Like, it's really – throw him in Darren Collison. If you do a, the body switch with those two guys and put Lawson within the first unit and then Collison with the second unit, it would be the same stuff that Lawson was going through earlier in the year where it's, there's nowhere to drive. The offense, because Kufus is out there on the floor, Cousins has to play up high. It takes the point guard out of the game. And and that really leads to instability, you know, lack of tempo, all of those things. And so I don't know. I mean, are the Kings going to get away from the the two big offense? Uh, I would guess they would. You know, that's the direction that the NBA is heading. So maybe then then Lawson (laughs) could be. I don't think they're going away from the two big lineup, man. I I I don't think so either. I mean, Kufis has started twenty seven of thirty one games, man. I don't think he's going anywhere. that's the crazy part is how many times do they want to start off in a hole? <laughs> and it's not, it's not Kufus's fault. He's played really well lately, actually over the last week or so when he plays well, it neutralizes the situation and it's just not quite as bad, but it's, you know, some of these things, I, I, a lot of people look and they go say, Hey, coach needs to make that decision right now. And coach also has to manage all these people in the locker room. And if they don't get minutes, how does that impact their play? And you don't pull the plug on a guy after like one game. You, you give him 20 games like he did Aaron Aflalo. Um, But yeah, I, I don't know. Some of this stuff is, uh, you know, it's it's really you see Matt Barnes out there kind of kicking the ball around the yard. And really, you know, I, I, I feel for him. He's had a really bad three game or three week stretch of He's basketball. Scuffling. He is scuffling. I mean, there's no and question. that's got to be rough for him. Yeah, but um, I mean, but, at the same point, he's he's 36 years old. Eventually, y- your legs they they go dry. Everyone knows that. I mean, eventually, you don't have the legs to continue. I mean, I and again, you've talked about Ben McLemore, and Ben McLemore is is struggling like beyond belief. I mean, I, I agree with you when I when I'm watching Ben McLemore most nights, I'm shaking my head and saying 
there's no way that Malachi Richardson isn't worth a look. I, there's just no way. Well, and uh, and that's the thing with this team that's a little confounding is that they're they haven't even really hit their ceiling of what they should be on a night to night basis. They've they're that the Kufus lineup is just not really a great idea, but it is what it is. Go for it, you know, knock yourselves out. The the Ben Mclemore thing is holding them back every night. Matt Barnes is holding them back every night. You know, you're not playing Temple as much as you should. Those four things alone could move them up about five to ten points per game, in my opinion, or, or in terms of the score. And it, so that is exciting, I think, if you're a Kings fan, is to think, you know, once those issues resolve themselves, because they typically always do, you know, there's unexplored upside for this team. Um, yeah, I think but they, it, it's they tough. Have to it's tight. tough. They have to tighten it up. They have to go. I mean, like the other night uh, against Philadelphia, they went with an 11 man rotation and that's not going to work. And even he brought Omri Caspi back late. And I thought, wow, he hasn't Omri hasn't seen the floor in like two weeks. And then you brought him in super late in the game and he had done a nice job rebounding early, but he'd had his shot block like three times. And then lo and behold, there he is. He's guarding Dario Saric, and Saric doesn't score the entire fourth quarter. And you're like, okay, that worked. But again, you got to figure out who those four off the bench are. And I think Lawson is clear. He he's earned his spot. Temple is clear. He's earned his spot. And, and then is it Tolliver and Caspi? Is it Collie Stein? Is it is it Ben Mclemore? I mean, what is it? Aaron Aflalo? Who is that second unit? And I think he did a really uh, Jaeger that is did a really nice job capitalizing on his second unit when Rudy and, and Omri Caspi were out. And now it's time to like, okay, who is it? Who's our group? And let's go forward. And you know, he even Jaeger talked about like people getting mad at him because you know so and so should be playing or so and so shouldn't be playing. And it's like at some point, man, the only thing that matters is fourteen and seventeen. Uh, the only thing that matters is the wins. And the losses, and you've got to you've got to manage that to win. It doesn't matter what anyone really wants because if if really you were building this team for the future, Malachi, Scal, Papianis, all of them would be on the on the floor developing, and that's not happening. So we're we're clearly going in a different direction. We're trying to build a a team that can win now with a future sitting on the bench, and so you got to win now. And that's what it is. I mean, you got a veteran team. Well, they also have to learn how to play together and play correctly. That's the other part of why you can't throw the rookies in there. Everybody's like, oh, where are the rookies at? It's like, well, let's let these guys figure out how to play or at least the core group how to play. And and they're doing that. That's the encouraging thing. You know, that Minnesota game, their offensive execution was just a thrill to watch. And, And that, you know, credit to Dave Yeager, he's teaching them that. He's getting them to do that. And so, um, yeah, the, but the, the, the lineup stuff, the stuff in the late in the fourth quarter with the Sixers and guys have never really played with each other that much. And on defense, it's all about trust and timing and, you know, calls and, and knowing where your guy's going to be kind of intuitively. And then they just got just blasted there for a second. And then he switched some guys out to a more normal closing lineup and it started to work out for them again. I don't know. Maybe he's just a tinkerer. Maybe he's uh, got a bigger, broader plan. I know that he's a crack up, you know, in interviews and stuff. He, he he could be just doing some of this stuff based on gut. Whatever it is, you know, you do want to give him quite a bit of time, you know, before you assess kind of how that's all working. But it, there is a lot of unexplored upside for this team. 
And so I feel really good about the 44 win predict- prediction. Um, you know, thank you to the Kings for, you know, getting it together this week so I can feel good about it again. There it is. There it is. <laughs> All right. So a couple of things. Um, I don't even want to bring this up. George Carl. Um, that sounds like you just did. George Carl needs to shut his mouth. And, and I really do hope that the Sacramento Kings um, look. I know they have their hands on. George Carl's people have sent out two versions of a book. One was inadvertently, I guess, and the other one was the version that, you know, is stripped down of all all negative comments of the Kings. Uh, he clearly, I mean, no one has confirmed inside, but they've kind of given the wink, nod, nod thing uh, that there was a non-disclosure agreement in place. I would take George Carl's money back, and I wouldn't give George Carl his money because if you're going to release the book and, and then say, Oh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, approve of that version going out. That wasn't the approved version. The fact is you wrote it and then you let it out there and yeah, you're liable for that. And, and to me, it's a little too late. And so if I were the Kings, I would be, uh, filing a nice lawsuit against George Carl this week. Um, as far as like what the George Carl book means and all that, uh, I'm passing. I, I'm not going to read his book um, because I know what George Carl was like, and I don't want any part of anything that will give him more money because I just I'm not a fan. And I dealt no. with him every day for I don't know a hundred and something games, and I don't think anyone in Sacramento should be a fan of George Carl. So I'm just going to leave it at that um, and, and just tell people that like look. The George Carl era needs to go away and needs to be gone and good for him for trying to make some money. But he's also the biggest fame chaser there ever was. So when he talks about Carmelo chasing fame, let's talk about a guy who got let go by the Denver Nuggets, instantly picked up at ESPN, uh, begged for jobs all around the league. As soon as he could swoop in and take the Sacramento Kings job, he took it. As soon as he got fired from the Sacramento Kings job for being completely ineffective, he wrote a book to get more fame. He's a fame chaser worse than any player he's ever coached. And that's, that's my two cents. Yeah. My two cents is similar. And, you know, after the, the way that he got his job and and how the outgoing GM orchestrated all of that. And there is no doubt about that for those out there listening, you know, this stuff is on lockdown in terms of the Intel behind it um, to the way that he conducted himself within, you know, the organization, the way that he has, been a media almost groupie in a way with the way that he tries to craft narratives, you know, and even the influence on st- stuff like the DeMarcus Cousins story, you know, of the past couple of weeks. And, and people think, oh, you know, there's only a handful of columns written by this guy over at the B that, that really impact the situation. Now, it was about three years or however many years worth of, you know, uh, George Carl induced attacks on the player. That stuff it really defined his his time here and really defined the nature of the disagreement between Cousins and the B. And everybody got a great look at how that works this week. And you notice there was a lot of anti-Demarcus Cousins uh, rhetoric that kind of went away this week because I think it became pretty apparent as to why there was those warring factions and how that all went. So I share your your opinion on all of that. And, um, you know, hopefully he just kind of fades out because I don't think anybody in the league appreciates it right now. I don't think any of his, you know, uh, the media context that he's worked so hard to deal with that have stuck up for him 
for the past the past X amount of years. I don't think they appreciate having to go on the defensive for him. I don't think that the league appreciates stuff like the steroid discussion and all that stuff without any evidence being presented. I mean, really lowbrow stuff. Um, so yeah, I'll, I guess I'll end it with that. And yeah, uh, he's done. He's he's never going to oh, work again in the league. Yeah, and I would I, I would like to see you know uh, you know if you're a media outlet covering the cousin situation, you know, evaluate that about how you know that was a part of the, the, the story and the issue there or don't, but, you know, kind of just know that going forward that, um, you know, it really did have an impact on the way that DeMarcus Cousins, among other players, have been covered here, you know, over the last couple of years. And so uh, I thought Jason Jones actually had a really good column about how that went. And uh, yeah, good riddance and, uh, you know, on to different things. No one misses him at all, at all, at all. No one. Uh, so, all right, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts, brief final thoughts? Uh, no. Just uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Happy New Year. By the next time we will record, it will be 2017. Take a moment to uh, enjoy the accomplishments from 2016 and look forward to 2017. There it is. All right, uh, let me see. Final thoughts. I thoroughly enjoyed the lighting of the candles, the Hanukkah candles at uh, Sleep Train. I mean, Sleep Train, at Golden One uh on at halftime of the philadelphia 76ers i'm not jewish i've never taken part in that um but i thought it was really really interesting and uh you have to have an open mind to everybody else's views and in the world a little bit and uh i thought that that was it was really a cool thing to watch the uh the lighting of the candles and when you have the first israeli born nba player on your roster Show some respect, you know. Give the guys some applause for standing out there and and singing and the lighting of the candle and, and having positive messages. Um, so that's kind of a strange one that I'll throw out there. Again, I don't, I'm not Jewish. I don't know all of the beliefs and all of that that goes into it. I thought it was a cool cultural evening and event that you got to see. Um, secondly. Well, we got uh, a 2 o'clock game on New Year's Eve. And that's cool because I'll be able to get out of there and be with my family just like everyone else will. Please be safe. Please be safe, Kings fans. Make it home. Call Uber. Don't drink and drive. It's a beautiful new year that uh, I think all of us are, are ready to walk away from 2016. And if there were a way to burn 2016... <laughs> And leave it behind us. Uh, I'm as sad as anyone else that Carrie Fisher is gone. Uh, but this has been an absolutely brutal year all the way around for celebrity deaths, for politics, for everything else. So I ring in 2017 with a big smile, a designated driver. And uh, let's hope for bigger and better things for the Sacramento Kings. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for joining us on the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll see you very, very soon. <laughs>